Sometimes we get down to about verse 22, and if we're not careful, we take that in the wrong direction. For whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. The desire to be rooted in prayer. A little bit it was brought out in the one of the songs that we were singing, uh, Come to the Garden. And you think about coming to the garden, and the one that crossed my mind was the Garden of Gethsemane. And you think about Jesus in that garden, and you think about the prayer that he offered to his Father while he was there. That reminder that, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We desire to walk with him and to, and to grow in our faith and to do his will. It's the same thing. Whatever we ask, we shall receive. But it may not be in the way that we had perceived it to be answered. And if we have developed the characteristics of being like the master, that indeed will qualify, restrict the prayers that we offer and the requests that we make. And at times that's hard within our life, but John is laying out some of the groundwork here, what would be important for us to do the things that would be pleasing to God. He gives us two reasons in verses 10 through 15 as for why it is necessary that we love the brethren, that along with practicing righteousness that distinguishes us as the children of God. To practice righteousness, to do the things that are right, comes from a knowledge of his will. It comes from a desire of wanting to know what his will is. And it comes from a desire of wanting not only to know his will, but a willingness to want to do that within our life. To make the petition, as we would read what we call the model prayer, giving us that example, there's nowhere in there that it says, ask for whatever you want, and it will be given to you. Is seeking God's kingdom first. It's wanting to do his will and loving the brethren. John has mentioned that in the reading this morning. That if we love the brethren, we will keep his commandments. If we do not love the brethren, we're not keeping his commandments. We don't have that attitude that Jesus had. That we're not who we ought to be. It also signifies a passion from death to life. We have come from the death of this world to the life of his son. We desire to again be imitators of Jesus. We have been given the scriptures and the gospels about the life of Jesus, the characteristics that he went by, the life that we that he lived, that is encouraging us to live as well. And what does it mean to love the brethren? To seek their best interests. If you see your brother in need, and you're not willing to help him, 
How does the love of God abide in you? Is that willingness to lay self aside and to reach out to the others? It's what is involved in this love of the brethren. Putting self last. The desire of wanting to find out what that Father's will is. As Jesus petitioned his Father. Father, if it be thy will, find another way. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That willingness to have that type of attitude is what's being asked of us. Of We're going to have roots that will give a good prayer life in our lives. That willingness to deny self. That willingness to want to do the will of the Father supremely. At all cost. Whatever that cost may be. Jesus exemplifies what it means to love the brethren there in verse 16 of the reading this morning. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Life has never been intended just for self. Never been a concept that God had. His was always of compassion for him, first of all. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. First John 3.16, God so, or Jesus so loved us that he gave his life on that cross. Then they gave that example for us. Wanting what is best and seeking what is best for another within our lives. The willingness to do the things that God would have us to do. Love is described as active goodwill. Seeking what is best in the life of another. Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And in verse 9. And concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. God has taught us that. A description of love found in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. The reminder to us of the importance of that love in verses 1 through 3. That we could do all that we could do. The performance of miracles in the first century. But if we did not have that love, it didn't profit anything. Verses 9 through the remainder of the chapter tells us the how long that love will last. Everything here was going to be temporary. The miracles were going to cease. The tongues were going to cease. But love was endure forever. Faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith one day will be realized. 
One day hope will be realized, but love will always be. But that love has always been a love that would show compassion. Jesus showed that in his life. Read John 13. Excuse me. Read John 13. Read the compassion and the love of Jesus for his disciples. Reminding them of that life of service to others. Being reminded for us that the task of washing, washing the feet of the house guests was a task that was assigned to the lowliest of the servants. But Jesus, without a word, rose from supper, girded himself, and began to wash the feet of the disciples. All of them. I left you an example. Right now you do not know what I've done for you, but later on you will. Later on you will understand what that signified and what was involved in that. Not just simply washing physical feet, but the surrender of self in consideration of another. This groundwork is being laid, so as we get into this prayer of asking and it shall be given unto you. The case of dying for the brethren. You go on in the Garden of Gethsemane after the prayer, after he petitioned his father three times in that agonizing prayer. His answer was given. Shall be given to you. It was given. The way of the cross will lead home for the disciples. So when Judas and his group was coming, Jesus simply said, Behold, my betrayer is at hand. Let us go. And then he's silent, basically for the remainder of his life. Surrendering to the Father's will, doing something that was horrible in the eyes of man, something that was inconceivable, in the eyes of man. The willingness to give one's life for the life of another. For the one who would despise that sacrifice. For the one who was spit upon that shedding of the blood. But because of the love that he had for the Father, He was willing to do that within his life. How can we claim to have the love of God if we're not willing to sacrifice for those around us? To give consideration to them. To think about who they are, what they may be going through. We often find in our lives there's things that we encounter that are not just for us, but also for the benefit of those that we may encounter as well. So we have this true love that he brings out there in verse 18. Let us love not in word or in tongue, but in deed 
and in truth. We're not our own. We belong to God, and we're here to help one another along the way. The value of this brotherly love is seen in verses 19 through the remainder of the chapter. Gives us the assurance that we have before God. And by this, we know that we are of truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Again, we may like the first part of 22. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. But we forget the qualifier that God has placed upon that. And that qualifier is very important within our life. Because there's a condition in there. Because we ask or we keep his commandments. If you're keeping the commandments of God, that qualifies, that restricts, that limits what you ask for. We have the tendency to ask for things that will benefit us, if you will. If I'm sick and afflicted, I'm praying that I can be healed and I can be made well again. I'm not asking that God's will would be done through this period of time, but it's a physical response that I have. I may be asking for the location of a job or a good job because I feel I can serve God there. I'm not asking that God's will would be done in my life, wherever that may be. I have a selfish motive involved. And it's hard to make that transformation, if you will. And that comes through deep prayer, being rooted and grounded in prayer. But what is the Father's will? What is it that he is asking of me as his child? Is it that I can live a good quality of life? That I could have a good paying job? That I might be able to do great things as I perceive them in the eyes of God? Or is it loving the Lord my God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and with all of my strength? Is it my heart's desire to live a life in such a way that it would glorify God. That I can be that light that shines in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. 
The light is not me. The light is to be God living through me. I'm just a receptacle to show the light that God has for the world. The difficulty is there of doing His will and wanting all things done to, to please Him. Have I developed, wanting to develop, developing this prayer life that would run deep because of the love that God has bestowed upon us. We look back at the life of Jesus and we can look back in Mark chapter 1. Down at verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen long for a long while before daylight, he, being Jesus, went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. Am I wanting a prayer life like Jesus? Long time before daylight, he rose to spend time in prayer to his Father. Luke reminds us in Luke 5 and verse 16 that Jesus often withdrew himself into the wilderness to pray. The task he had was great, but it was the Father's will that he do the task. The obstacles that he faced seemed insurmountable. But his job was to do the will of the Father who had sent him. So he spent time, often, in prayer to his Father. There's a prayer life. The communication that we want to have with our Father. So that we can... Seek his counsel of what it is that he would want us to do. Over in the Gospel of John, and in chapter 12, verse 27 and 28. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. We're here. To glorify God. We're here to let our light shine before men. That they may see our good works and may glorify our Father who is in heaven. The task on the surface may sound easy. But the application is difficult. 
Because to those that you need to shine as lights do not want to have that light shined upon them. Any more than they wanted Jesus to show them the will of the Father. Because it would be contrary, and it was contrary, to the life that they were already living and claiming allegiance to God. But he was showing them that was not what God wanted. That our prayer, Father, glorify your name. The life that I live, could God be glorified in it? Is he being glorified in it? Is he showing hope to the world that is lost in darkness? You go back to his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26. We're familiar with verse 39. He left his disciples, went a little farther, fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That concept, I may think it's difficult, but whatever it is that I face in this life does not even come close to what God faced or what Jesus faced in his life on this earth. If it be your will, we often do that. If it be your will, may this cup pass from me. We may not know that they're going through that trial. Maybe the very thing that somebody needs to see to change their life and to put it in harmony with the will of the Father. Again, after his prayer in verse 46, he sees his hour, his hour has come and he says, Arise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Prayed fervently. Father, be your will. May the cup pass from me. And the answer is given. The cup shall not pass. My betrayer is at hand. Let's go. And he did the will of the Father. Laid his hands, his life, in the hands of his Father. Drop down to verse 53. Or do you not think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? song we sometimes sing about 10,000 angels. Here is 72,000 angels. Do you not know I can pray to my Father and he will give me 72,000 angels? We read in the Old Testament what an angel of the Lord could do, one angel of the Lord could do, and slew in 185,000 Assyrian troops. What could 72,000 angels do? But even then, Jesus didn't need them. Angels are the servants, ministers of God. He is the Son of God. 
equal with God. He did not need the angels. But he surrendered his will to the Father. What more could he ask of us? What more could we render to him than doing just that? That can only come through this prayer life that we need to develop. And let his roots go strong into his word, to meditate upon it, to pray about it. How can I live a life in such a way that would bring honor and glory to the Father? Over to the Gospel of Luke. In chapter 22. Verses 31 and 32. His prayer. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Here's a prayer that Jesus prayed for Peter. Do we do this with one another? Listen. Satan desiring to sift Peter was not limited to Peter alone. Satan's desire is to sift each one of us as we go back and read about how wheat was sifted in those days. By now, it's not a real pleasant process if you're the one being treated like that. But the sifting of the weed is to remove all the shaft, to remove everything that's not valuable, if you will, not beneficial. To get rid of it so that the true wheat may remain. Satan wants to do that. Satan will do his job. But what would it be if it wasn't for that verse that says, But I have prayed for you. I prayed for you, Peter, that you'll come through it. And when you have, then you strengthen the brethren. We do not want the sifting. Our prayer is, Lord, save me from that. But we have a need in our life to be sifted. Have a need to remove the impurities. To remove the man-made concepts that we have allowed to develop in our heart and in our mind about what's involved in living this Christian life. What is the best way to live this life? And how rich can God bless us in living the physical life that we forget the spiritual soul that is eternal? And that is what God is interested in. The physical is going to die and perish. The spiritual will remain. 
God's desire for us is that we will be strong as we live here. We're strong through the encouragement that we give to one another. Peter, when you have gotten your strength back, when you return, you go strengthen the brethren. You help them as well. Remind them that God does care and God is involved in the life that we live. A little bit earlier in Luke, in chapter 6, Verse 37. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it shall be measured back to you. Give, and you shall be given. Oh, look at the bountiful blessings I can have out of that. That's not what he's talking about. You give compassion. You give mercy. You give encouragement. You give hope. You strengthen brethren. You shed a light to those that shine or that are living in darkness and show them that better way of living. And see if God does not bless you. May not be the material, more than likely it is not the material, but God will bless you. Your heart will be enriched and overflowing. Because then you're striving to be like the Master. Are we willing to abide in Christ here so that we can abide with Him? eternally in heaven. It's a choice that each one of us has to make. It's a choice that each one of us is making in the life that we live. The question is, not only what choice are you making, how are you making that choice? Is it a choice that comes from the depths of your heart out of a sense of gratitude and praise to the one who gave his life for you. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. It's where we find the burdens lifted. It's where we find the hope for the new life. Where we find encouragement to live each day until he comes again. If you're not where you need to be and you need to make a change in your life, if we could assist you, if we could help you, indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.